we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit and how and how the early and the latter rain are to impact us, especially important today. You know, today we hear discussion about the Holy Spirit, and we hear discussion about, for example, I don't know what you have in this area, but it seems like in Adventism at large, the whole Trinity question has arisen again. These things sort of go in cycles. It was in the mid-90s, as I recall. It was last a, a thing, a big, a big thing. Um, but but the, uh, the question of whether the Holy Spirit is a person or not, as a member of the Godhead, and that's something we're going to be looking at some tomorrow. I think it's an important question. I do. Um, I think we're going, to, we're going to be looking at wh what the Holy Spirit means to us and what it can do for us and all the different roles that it plays in our lives, or at least some of them, tomorrow. But tonight we're going to be looking particularly at the early and the latter rain. And I think that as we, as we think of the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we, we often just sort of, maybe I'm just, maybe this is confession on my part, but I feel like we, we, we tend to think, yes, that too. I need the Holy Spirit too, right? I mean, salvation and Jesus and all those things are, are center stage, but the Holy Spirit is sort of a little bit of a sideshow in our thinking. And maybe that's partly because the Holy Spirit does take a more quiet role, but it's a very important role nonetheless. And it's a role that I think that we should be aware of and studying. And as I think of the Holy Spirit, particularly as a pastor, you as a church member, or whatever role you have to play in God's cause, uh, I think too often we do things that are, uh, that are humanly possible, and we use human methods and human plans and human ideas, when really I think if the Holy Spirit had free reign in our churches, it would radically change the way we do business. It would radically change the types of conflicts that we have and how we work through those conflicts. It would radically change the way we learn to love each other. You know, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have time to talk more about some of these things, but this evening I want especially to focus on the early and the latter rain. And so we're going to start with just a little bit of a Bible study. I hope you brought your Bibles because we're going to look at the, at the Word of God here. First of all tonight, we're going to look at a number of passages together. And then we're going to be looking also at some spirit of prophecy uh, statements and passages that sort of amplify and, and, and illuminate some of the things that we're reading in God's Word. Um, I, I, I believe that this is largely an Adventist uh, campus, Adventist gathering, and so I may use the spirit of prophecy a little more here than I would on a typical Sabbath morning sermon where I'm preaching to a lot of non-Adventists. But um, this, is, this is what we're going to be focusing on here tonight, and um, I want to use it in an authoritative way, as I believe God has given it to, to be used in that way, as we learn about the Holy Spirit here this evening. So, the early and the latter rain, a symbol in the Bible that we find. And I'm going to just ask you to turn in your Bibles. We'll start in Isaiah chapter 44, and we'll read verse 3. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 3. And uh, we're going to look at a number of verses here. This is our first one as we get started this evening. Isaiah 44 and verse 3. And maybe someone could read that for me uh, with a loud, clear voice. Anyone who found it. Yes. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thy Okay, so here we find a classic Hebrew literary um, 
construction that is being used here. It's, a, it's parallel synonymism, uh, synonymism, something like that. Um, it's a par- two parallel, uh, or a parallel thoughts presented twice. You see that? I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. So here you have a, a thought being, being conveyed and um, then a, a, another way of stating it right below. This happens all throughout the Bible. It's a literary form, much like we would use a limerick or some sort of a poetic verse or meter. Um, the Hebrew writers often employed these parallel and, um, and uh, agreeing passages. So this is the promise. Just like rain upon a dry ground, he says, I will pour my spirit upon your offspring. Now, I suppose here in Southern California, we know something about dry ground, right? And uh, it's, it's nothing like, there's, not, there's nothing so uh, rewarding, you might say, or uh, gratifying than a good rain shower um, after it's been dry for so long, particularly when you have fires and so forth uh, burning. And uh, the rain is promised. And, and here it says your offspring are, are going to be that dry ground. And, and I'm going to pour water upon them. My spirit is going to flood, not just a little sprinkle, like a, forgive me, but a, a, a Southern California rain shower is usually more like a sprinkle compared to the tropics, right? Or even Georgia, where I live. When it rains, it rains, you know. We, I've seen four inches in an hour before. That's, a, that's rain, you know. Um, so this is a flood that is promised, a deluge, a downpour, not just a little bit of a, a sprinkle or a, a bit of humidity. Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. Zechariah chapter 10, and we're going to read verse 1. And if I could invite someone who finds that, To read it for me, I would appreciate it. Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. The restoration for Judah and Israel. Zechariah 10.1. Yes, sir. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. Okay, so ask from the Lord rain in the season of rain. That sounds like a good idea, right? Um, He will cause for you to come down the rain. And um, if we we continue on back, we'll we'll go to the next verse, Ezekiel 34 and verse 6. I want you to see that this, this promise of the latter rain, the early in that latter rain, is a thread that runs throughout the Old Testament. This was not a, a, a new thought in the New Testament when Pentecost happened, but Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 26. Ezekiel 34 and verse 26. Someone like to read that? There shall be showers of blessing. You know that song? We sing it often, right? There shall be showers of blessing. Um, what, a, what a promise this is. And this is right here from Ezekiel chapter 34 
and uh, verse 26. I will cause, uh, I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing. I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And of course, probably the best known passage on the early and latter rain is found in Joel chapter 2. And so we're going to look there real quickly here this evening. Joel chapter 2. And we're going to examine more carefully this passage. It was quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost as a, as a, a prophecy that was being fulfilled. We'll start in verse 23 of Joel chapter 2. And there's multiple verses here. I'll read them um, here. Joel 2, 23, 28, and 29 we'll focus on. Joel 2.23 says, Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain, as before. And then it goes on and talks about how this is going to result in blessing for God's people. There's going to be an overflowing of harvest and so forth, eating of plenty. Verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And uh, this is talking, if we, if we look down here, verse 31 makes it very clear. This is talking about before the great and dreadful or awesome day of the Lord. We believe this is primarily a promise about the latter rain to be poured out just before the second coming, right? And of course, we saw a, 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 a former rain being poured out there at the day of Pentecost. One more verse in the Old Testament uh, before we move on to uh, other passages. Hosea, Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3. Someone like to read that for me. Hosea 6 and verse 3. Then shall we know if we fall along to know the Lord, going forth is prepared as the morning. And he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. Okay, so here we find, it, it, it's, I like this passage because it gives a little different perspective about the early and the former rain. And there's a following on, isn't there? And a knowledge. There's something for us to do. There's something for us to participate in this experience of receiving the early and the latter rain. Now, sometimes when we think of the early and the latter rains, we just think of, well, there's Pentecost and there's some future event. We, we tend to sort of isolate or insulate our current environment from the immediacy, the urgency of the former and the latter rains, or the early and the latter rains. And we're going to find that that's really not what we should, how we should be viewing the subject. Now, just real, real briefly here, the climate of Palestine is much like that of right around here in Southern California. There's a rainy season beginning in the fall and reaching to the spring, and this rainy season begins with what they call the early rain and ends with the latter rain. Now, if you were planting uh, uh, in... A crop of grain, let's say, um, which was, you know, the staple, barley or wheat or whatever the grain was, you would plant it in the fall when the early rains came, and it would grow throughout the, what we would call the winter, right? And um, then the, the, the latter rain comes in the spring just before 
the harvest. So the, you have the, the early rain about the time of planting. If the, if the early rain doesn't come, you have no life. You have no plants. If you could go out and without irrigation in Southern California um, during the dry season, you plant seeds, nothing's going to happen, right? Um, you have to have that rain. Well, they didn't have irrigation systems, at least not what we would consider irrigation systems in those days. So they depended upon those rains. When they put the seed in the ground, they needed the rain to come to water that seed and to bring it to life, you might say, to bring the plants out of the ground. The, the, the latter rain is in the spring just before the harvest. So just before those, those, those uh, heads of grain are to be harvested, they have to have that last push to swell them up and to make them a bountiful harvest with lots of grain that can be made into food, into, into, uh, into flour, whatever else is going to be made of them. So the early rain is moderate, but the latter rain is expected to be in greater abundance. And the entire agriculture program depended upon these rains. Like I was saying, if you didn't have the former rain, you wouldn't have plants. If you didn't have the latter rain, you wouldn't have much of a harvest. You wouldn't have much of a crop to mature and to be, to be gathered in. So this is the symbolism that God is using here. We've looked throughout the Old Testament, and we've seen how God used this symbolism to, to illustrate how the Holy Spirit would begin in, in an early rain form at the beginning of the Christian dispensation, the Christian age, and at the end, the latter rain would come in order to prepare the harvest, in order to do the finishing work, you might say. So what's the purpose of the early rain? It's to soften the hard ground, to cause the seed to germinate. The purpose of the latter rain? To bring the grain to full maturity. Um, it could not ripen and swell without that latter rain, without those, those uh, final touches of moisture, you might say. Now, I'd like to just break this into different categories. When we look at the early rain and the latter rain, I'd like for us to consider what it means for the church and what it means for me and for you as an individual. Because in, in, in a corporate sense it, and an individual sense, there really is a difference And as we look at the latter rain and the early rain. For the early rain, the, the church, uh, it represents the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the Christian church in moderate measure beginning at Pentecost. Now, we usually think of Pentecost as being a real outpouring of, uh, of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, a, a power of, I mean, 3,000 baptized in a day. And, I mean, Peter only preaches for, what was it? I don't know, seven, eight minutes if you read his sermon. And all these people are pricked at their hearts and they're convicted and they're, they're converted and they ask to be baptized. What can we do to join the church, you know? I mean, that's an exciting, exciting day. And we think, well, that's going to happen again at the latter rain. But actually, the early rain was given then and it's still here now, right? And so that, that, that early rain for the church is, has been given. For the individual, the Holy Spirit given, is given to convert the, uh, our souls from sin and to bring growth and victory in preparation for the latter rain. So just like the church had a beginning stage, you might say, at the day of Pentecost, when the disciples were still just brand new Christians, really, weren't they? they just come to a conversion experience, and, and the church was just in its infancy. They didn't have any, any possessions or any, any meeting places or any assets or any power in the religious circles or political circles of the day, 
but the, church, the Holy Spirit was given to the church, and really, friends, that's all they needed. Think about it. Think about the challenges of the gospel going to the world in one generation. <clears throat> My understanding of Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. My understanding of that is that that was one of the signs that was to precede not only the end of the time, but also the destruction of Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus was asked the question, when shall these things be, and when shall be the, the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And uh, Jesus mingled signs that would take place both before the destruction of Jerusalem and also before the end of time. And so Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23 that the gospel who, which he preached had been preached to every creature under heaven. In one generation, the gospel went to the then-known world. That's an amazing accomplishment. Think about it from a different perspective. When, the, when, at, when Christianity started, they were the epitome of a powerless people group, right? They were hated by the Romans. They were hated by the Christians, uh, by the Jews, I'm sorry. So really, they, they were in a hostile cultural environment. You think evangelism is hard today? in secularism and all the rest that we have going on, Christianity in its earliest stages faced a huge uphill battle, right? They had very little resources, very little to draw on, except they had the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in early reign form was enough to transform people's lives so that people who had been dishonest became honest. People who had been liars became truthful. People that had been uh, uh, sad and angry and unhappy became filled with the joy of the Lord, which became their strength, right? And it didn't matter whether you were high or low. The gospel of Jesus Christ transformed their lives. The power of the Holy Spirit teaching brought conversions around the world, and the gospel spread like wildfire. I mean, Paul had a big part to play in it, didn't he? He went to these different cosmopolitan centers where people came from all over the world, and there he established churches, and the people went back to their people and, the, and their languages and their regions, and the gospel just spread in one generation with all of the obstacles to the then known world. It's an amazing story. It is. But it gets even more amazing when you think about this. P paganism had a stranglehold on the Roman government. The Roman Empire was a pagan empire to its core through and through, right? It was pagan. The, the culture, the, uh, the, the, the way it was set up, the, the way they uh, worshipped their emperor, I mean, everything about it was pagan. There were, there were more... There were more um, images in the city of Rome than there were inhabitants. It was a pagan culture. And yet, in only a couple of hundred years, Christianity transformed so many hearts and lives from inside that world empire that paganism was forced to surrender to Christianity. Think about it. We often sort of look at Constantine with a bit of a scowl, don't we? And we think that little scoundrel, you know, baptizing paganism and calling it Christianity. But the, the, the silver lining to that cloud is that Christianity had overwhelmed paganism.
paganism could not stand any longer as the support of the empire. And for political expediency, Constantine did, I believe that's why he did what he did, because the gospel changes lives. They didn't have much, but they had the Holy Spirit. And so, from the early reign, we see the amazing story on both the corporate level of the Christian church, but also on the individual level. The Holy Spirit is given to convert from sin and to bring growth and victory in preparation for the latter reign. For the church, the latter reign represents the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the remnant church at the close of its work during the loud cry. We're using a lot of maybe uh, Adventist terminology there or end time terminology there, but I think most of you understand what we're talking about. The latter reign is, is, is really given at, at a very important juncture in this world's history when God's people need it, right? Um, to, to, sh to show to the world once and for all the character of God. The, uh, the, the, the Bible says the fourth angel in Revelation 18 comes down and lightens the earth with its glory, right? With great power. That's the power of the latter rain. The power of the Holy Spirit given to the church corporately. But for the individual, the Holy Spirit given in great measure to the believer to seal his or her Christian experience, to empower witness and a mature reflection of God's truth and love. So here you have sort of a summary of, of how we understand the early reign and the latter reign. And the question that we have to begin asking ourselves as we sort of um, matriculate through this discussion here this evening, the question we have to ask ourselves is, how is my experience in this process of the early and the latter rain. Where am I? We look often forward to the latter rain. I've often looked forward to the latter rain without really thinking too much about the early rain. Without thinking too much about what has the early rain done in my life? What has the early rain convinced me of? I remember when I was just experiencing a reconversion experience in my late teens. And um, I, I, was, I was not a bad person. I had never been one of those people who went out and, you know, sowed their wild oats or did all those things that, you know, you'd have this powerful testimony to tell about drugs and all those amazing things that uh, I was saved from. But I want to I say something here this evening. I believe the power of God to save someone from those uh, choices is amazing. It's a real testimony when God has brought someone back from a life of sin and degradation. But it's no less a testimony, friends, when the Holy Spirit keeps a person from that life of sin and degradation. That's a testimony, too. And sometimes people like me, we're tempted to think, well, I can't really have a, a testimony that people are just held spellbound to, you know? I can't have this, this story that, you know, I can write a book about, you know, and um, whatever, you know. But... But really, we all have a testimony, don't we? And as a, as a young person, I, I, I love Jesus. Um, there was a time in my life where, to be honest with you, um, I, I, can't, I, I wasn't walking with him on a daily basis. And um, I was good, so I didn't realize it. I was, you remember the two sons that were told by their father, go work in the vineyard? And one of them said, I'm not going. And uh, according to Uncle Arthur, he went fishing, right? And that, he was over there by the river. Um, well, the artist, at least, in the, in the Bible story books. 
Um, now, uh, the other son said, I'm going, but he didn't go. Of course, the first son afterwards repented and went. And, and Jesus asked the Pharisees, which one did the will of the Father? And blurting out an answer before they thought about their self-incrimination, they said, of course, you know, the first one. And Jesus said, well, the publicans and the prostitutes, the mafia bosses and the prostitutes are going to enter the kingdom of God before you. And they were not happy about that. Um, I was like that one that said, I'm going, but I didn't go, you know. Uh, I was like the older son in the parable of the, the prodigal son, right? He was there the whole time, but he wasn't really there. And so I came to this experience. And, and without, without going into a lot of details, I, I, I came to a realization that there were certain things that I had done that I had, I had, I had wronged other people. And, um, you know, sometimes when, you, when, when a situation comes back, it might be from a couple of years ago, and, and, and you're a teenager, and I was a shy teenager, and I, I was thinking, well, you know, that's, that's just a little thing, and it's, it's, not, a, it's not important, and, and they don't even remember it probably, and, and, and yet the Holy Spirit keeps bringing that back, like, you should make that right. Um, and finally, you come to the realization that even if it's a little thing, I mean, especially if it's a little thing, why not just get it over with, right? Why not just be able to put this out of your mind? And, uh, and what peace comes into your heart when you go to someone, you say, you know what, what I said to you, what I did to you. And I remember there was one friend of mine that I had said something to him recently. It hadn't been a long time ago. It was just, I don't remember what it was. I have no idea. But I remember I felt convicted I need to go to apologize to him. And I struggled with this. I, am I the only one that struggles apologizing about things? That's sort of a, and maybe that's normal. I don't know. But I think the devil throw, puts all kinds of lies in our heads. You know, they're not going to, they're going to think less of me and whatever. So I went to this friend and he was a, he was a, a, a great Christian friend. And, and I apologized for something that he said, I, I had done or said. And, and, and he said to me, I, I don't remember what the details were, except I remember his response. He says, that's no problem, Chester. Of course, I forgive you, whatever. He says, man, that's the early rain in your life. And ever since then, I've had a little bit of an idea of what the early rain is about. The early rain is about converting us, maybe point by point, on things that we're struggling with in our life. The Holy Spirit's given, right, to convict us of sin, to bring us to an understanding of our true selves and so forth. We're going to come back to this as we move on. So the, the early rain is important in order for us to have the latter rain. If we don't, if we miss out on the early rain, we are not candidates for the latter rain. End of story, right? So let's talk here about the New Testament example of the early rain. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read the story here in verses 1 through 4, and there's then verses 14 through 18. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4, and then 14 through 18. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. 
For this people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And so this is Peter now quoting from the prophecy which we read earlier, the prophecy of Joel, the prophecy of the latter rain, the prophecy which we would agree, I think, as we look at the context, that it's particularly talking about the great and dreadful or terrible or awesome day of the Lord, depending on which translation you're reading, it's just before the second coming. But Peter is saying, look, the promise of the Holy Spirit to be poured out is being fulfilled here today. This is the Holy Spirit that is coming out. The Holy Spirit does supernatural things, right? The Holy Spirit empowers for witness. The Holy Spirit came to the early church. And from the Acts of the Apostles, page 54, it says, The outpouring of the Spirit in the days of the Apostles was the beginning of the early or former reign, and glorious was the result. To the end of time, the presence of the Spirit is to abide with the true church. That is to say that the Holy Spirit has not been withdrawn It was given at the time of the apostles on the day of Pentecost, and it is still available to the church today. All of the power of the former reign or the early reign is still accessible to the church today. And uh, we might might, uh, ask, why do we not see Pentecost on a daily basis here? Well, that's... It may be in part because we haven't experienced what the disciples had experienced. And so we're going to look at that here in just a few minutes. Testimonies, Volume 1, page 159 says, I saw that it is the privilege of every Christian. How many Christians? Every Christian to enjoy the deep movings of the Spirit of God. A sweet heavenly peace will pervade the mind, and you will love to meditate upon God in heaven. You will feast upon the glorious promises of His Word. Um, Page 511, Testimonies to Ministers. The dispensation which we are now living is to be, to those, who, to those that ask, the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. Ask for His blessing. It is time we were more intense in our devotion. To us is committed the arduous but happy, glorious work of revealing Christ to those who are in darkness. We are called to proclaim the special truths for this time. For all this, the outpouring of the Spirit is, what does it say? Essential. We should pray for it. The Lord expects us to ask Him. We have not been wholehearted in this work. Praying for the Holy Spirit, asking for the Holy Spirit. When is the time of the early reign? Well, it was at the time of Pentecost. It began at the time of Pentecost. But really, the time of the early reign is now, isn't it? Now we are living in the time of the early reign. Maybe even latter reign. I mean, from what we've studied so far, right? There's nothing to say we couldn't be living in the time. One of the, one of the passages that, this, that really um, gives me pause is where Ellen White talks about those who will be looking for the latter rain, but it will be being poured out all around them, and they don't recognize it. Um, the way to avoid that, friends, is to experience the early rain. To experience that work of the Holy Spirit that was meant 
to convert our hearts on a daily basis. Sometimes we might use different terminology. We might call it returning to our first love, right? When the Holy Spirit got a hold of our hearts, and we didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. We didn't know how it worked. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that we heard him speaking to us. We saw our need for a savior. And we allowed that spirit to break our stubborn hearts and will and to make us moldable and fashionable and repentant and willing to be used of him. The time is now. We can have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, just some more passages. Um, Acts chapter 1, 8, we won't turn there because you know what it says. You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses. We look in chapter 2 and verses 42 through 47. We notice what happened, um, the work of the latter rain. Um, they devoted themselves, the Bible says, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temples together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, let's just, let's just examine this passage here. Keep, keep your Bible open and, and look at it with me. We often tend to just focus on that last phrase, and the Lord added to their number daily those who should be saved, right? The church was growing. There were baptisms. That's a good thing. We want our churches to grow. We want baptisms, right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it is. But that's the last thing that happened, or at least the last thing that's listed here in the verse, right? The, 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 the work of the Holy Spirit was not to create baptisms. The work of the Holy Spirit changed human hearts. That's what happened. And baptisms resulted. Now, just, just sort of call out here, what were the things that the Holy Spirit did in the hearts of the disciples? Remember, these are the same groups of people, same, this was the same group of people who had been arguing and, and, and jealous about who was going to, going to be the greatest, right? This was, this was a radically changed group of disciples now, and, uh, and, their, and their families and, and people that were following, not just the 12, the 500 or so in, in addition, but what, what was the Holy Spirit doing in the church? Just, just say one of the things that's here in these passages, in this 42 through 47. What did the Holy Spirit do in the church? Unity. Okay. All right. What else? Sacrifice. Okay. Um, they helped those who needed help, right? And by the way, the whole, having all things in common, I just want, I, I feel compelled, maybe it's just my, my um, patriotism as an American, I don't know. I feel compelled to just put a little, a little side note here. I don't believe this is talking about communism, okay? They held all things in common, as in there was no such thing as property ownership, they just had a common ownership. We know that's not true, because of a certain couple that said they gave their proceeds but didn't give their proceeds, right? 
So it's clear that the New Testament church had, individuals still had their own possession of property. The point being made here is that they were willing to share with others, right? They, they basically said, mi casa es su casa, right? That's the point that uh, the passage, in, in my reading, that's the point of what it's talking about here. So they, 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 they sacrificed, they had unity. What else? Fellowship. I like that word. In fact, that was even rattling around in my mind. They, they, they liked spending time together. Imagine that. Imagine a church where they actually enjoyed each other, right? Um, that's, a, that's a miracle. Well, I mean, it shouldn't be, I guess, and, and, uh, and I assume it's the case here as well. But I've been in churches, friends, where, where, um, where they'd gone through difficult times, they'd had divisions, they'd had conflict, they'd had controversy, and when the sermon was over, everyone scattered. I mean, they didn't even look each other in the eye, you know? Um, they, didn't, they didn't spend time eating together. They didn't invite each other to their homes. And, and let me tell you, that's, that's not a church filled with the Holy Spirit. The early reign was, was making the people so they wanted to spend time with each other. Well, of course, they all agreed on everything. Is that why? No, it's not why. These are the same, listen, it's only been a few weeks since they were arguing and fighting, right? Peter still had his unfiltered lips, right? Um, they still had, I mean, I'm not discounting the fact they were converted. I'm just saying their personalities could still be capable of rubbing each other the wrong way, right? Um, this, this was not a church that was a, hmm, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Um, there are certain churches, even Adventist churches, particularly in areas where you have lots of Adventists. You ever heard of a place like that? Um, where, where they sort of they sort of separate each other out by the way they think. You know what I'm talking about? And there's good reason for that. I'm not here to criticize that, but I am. What I am saying is. Where you don't have that luxury, and yet you love each other, it's even a greater testimony of God's power. Is that fair to say? Did I say that okay? Yeah? The reality is, no matter how much we have in harmony, we still have human natures. And it's, it's by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. And that was the experience they had in the early church because of the early reign. The working of the Holy Spirit. What else do you see here in chapter 2, verses 42 through 47? They had fellowship. They had unity. They had sacrifice. They prayed together. It looks to me like they invited each other over to their homes. They had, they had, um, they they were studying um, and 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 spending time. I mean, it was almost like their religion had become the great business of their lives. Right. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in early reign power. And the end of that passage it says, "And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." But let's not forget the first part. 
God had done an, or was doing an amazing work through their through the Spirit in their hearts and lives. We notice a couple of passages. I'm, I'm, these are all from Acts of the Apostles, pages 35 and 37. They did not wait in idleness. The record says that they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. They humbled their hearts in true repentance and confessed their unbelief. They drew nearer and nearer to God. These are, the, these, are the, uh, these are the steps, you might say, that they were being taken, uh, led through by the Holy Spirit in the early reign in order to prepare them for the, for, the, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Putting aside all differences, all desire for supremacy, they came close together in Christian fellowship. And it continues... They were weighted with the burden of the salvation of souls. The disciples prayed with intense earnestness for a fitness to meet men and in their daily intercourse to speak words that would lead sinners to Christ. Under the influence of the Spirit, words of penitence and confession mingled with songs of praise for sins forgiven. Daily they prayed for fresh supplies of grace that they might reach higher and still higher toward perfection. These aren't my words. These are from the book Acts of the Apostles, pages 35 to 37, and, and on this slide, page 49 as well. These are, these, are, these are the reasons, I think, why we don't see the Holy Spirit to the same degree today that we see it at Pentecost. It's not because the Holy Spirit has been withdrawn from the church. It's because we have not gone through the process, allowed the Holy Spirit to take us through the process in preparing our hearts for the pouring of the Holy Spirit upon us as, he did, as, as it was poured upon the early church at Pentecost. Uh, I, sometimes, I sometimes like to, like to say that, you know, the work of church is sort of a dirty work. It's messy sometimes, isn't it? As much as we'd like to just be in this regimented, perfect, little coiffed world, um, the reality is that the, whole, the, the disciples had to go through some pretty serious heart-searching, heart-humbling, confession, repentance, forgiveness of one another in order to bring them to the point where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Um, <laughs> I sometimes tell people when they bring up certain situations in the church, um, even the church that I work with, I really enjoy pastoring and I have a wonderful church and congregation, but I, I sometimes just, it, it, it's mostly, it's mostly um, facetious when I say, you know, church would be really easy if it weren't for the people, right? Um, <laughs> Dave Ramsey You've heard Dame Ramsey? He's not really my spiritual mentor or anything, but he has some interesting ways of saying things sometimes. And he was talking about how, how church can become, um, uh, it can become, well, conflict, you know, relationships, it's work and all the rest, right? And he says, you know, the Bible even says where two or three are gathered together, there you have people, right? And you're going to have to work on relationships. But that's what God is calling us to do. 
God is calling us to do the work of preparation for the latter rain, or the early rain, so that we can receive that portion of the Spirit and, and be ready for the latter rain when it comes. We continue on from Acts of the Apostles, page 48, the work of the early rain, continuing. What was the result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? The glad tidings of a risen Savior were carried to the uttermost parts of the inhabited world. As the disciples proclaimed the message of redeeming grace, hearts yielded to the power of this message. The church beheld converts flocking to her from all directions. Backsliders were reconverted, sinners united with believers in seeking the pearl of great price. Some who had been the bitterest opponents of the gospel became its champions. The prophecy was fulfilled, he that is feeble shall be as David, and in the house of David as the angel of the Lord, Zechariah 12.8. Every Christian saw in his brother a revelation of divine love and benevolence. One interest prevailed, one subject of emulation swallowed up all others. The ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character and to, and to labor for the enlargement of His kingdom. This is a powerful description, friends, of the church of God when it is impacted by which rain? The early rain. That's what God is calling us to. Now, wouldn't it be an amazing church if, as it says here, every Christian saw in his brother a revelation of divine love and benevolence? Wouldn't that be amazing? If, you know, the, the, the human vision that we see of each other is, our, is each other's faults, right? And, and I have a theory about that, too. I don't mean to get off the subject too much, but I have a theory. The Bible says, Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. And my theory is that the faults we tend to see in other people are actually the faults that exist in us. That's why we recognize them in other people. Oh, he's just power hungry. Said nobody ever who was not power hungry. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's just, we, we tend to recognize each other's faults but they're really our own faults and as the believers in the early church were focusing their eyes on Jesus they stopped just sort of zooming in on the failures and the faults of each other and they saw ways in which their brothers and sisters actually reflected a portion of God's character that was admirable and they wished they had too it's almost like they realize that we're not all supposed to be just minions made in the same mold, but we're all given different personalities and different spiritual gifts. And, and just because that person's burden isn't my burden doesn't mean their burden is wrong and mine is right, right? They actually saw each other as someone that they could look up to and learn from. It reminds me of what Paul said to the Philippians, let each esteem others better than themselves. Yeah. It's a miracle, friends. It's a miracle. When that happens, I'm not talking about two people who are Twitter-baited. When that happens 
with a whole group of people, a whole church of people, different backgrounds and different perspectives and different burdens and different gifts. It's a miracle and it's one of the strongest, if not the strongest evidence that we are Christ's disciples by the love we have for one another. It's an amazing thing, this early rain. It's an amazing thing, and it's what God is wanting us to experience today. In the uh, continuing on in page 48, uh, I guess that's just, no, I'm sorry, I'm just, same statement. Every Christian saw in his brother a revelation of divine love and benevolence. One interest prevailed, one subject of emulation swallowed up all others. The ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character and to labor for the enlargement of his kingdom. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and as we, as we are transformed by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, he leads us to be able to see Jesus in our own brothers and sisters. I love the way this, this chapter ends here when it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think sometimes we focus too much on the evangelism, the baptisms, the adding to the church without, without focusing on what God can do to bring us to be ready for that. One time when I, I came as a pastor of a church um, and, and as I mentioned, there was... They just didn't like each other, you know. God gave me the wisdom to at least know that they weren't ready for evangelism. You just can't bring new people into that kind of a hostile environment. You know, that, that's something people can tell. You, you walk off the street into a group of people and immediately you know, just intuitively, you may not think it, realize it, but you know when they like each other, they don't, Right? And so I began praying about healing some of the broken relationships. I began, in fact, um, I learned myself as I read and studied and prayed, and I learned about emotional health and, and how to help people through some of these processes. And, and it came to the point where, you know, we started having meals together and out, uh, events and social activities and trying to get people to actually spend time with each other. And, Praise God, the Holy Spirit was able to heal some of those relationships till, till church would end and there'd be like 45 minutes later, people are still just talking outside the sanctuary just because they, they liked each other again. And that's when I realized, now we can start doing evangelism. Now we can start bringing people to see what we have. Because if we don't have a gospel, a, a religion, that can make us like each other as fellow believers, fellow pilgrims planning to spend eternity together, then how do we have a religion to offer to other people who need to have their hearts changed as well? So this evening, I just want us to ask ourselves, I suggested this question earlier, where am I in this experience of the latter rain? It's easy for us to sort of talk about the corporate sense, the church, yes, day of Pentecost and so forth. But where am I in the experience of the early rain and the latter rain? It's not enough just to hope to be in the right place at the right time, going to the right church when the latter rain's poured out at the end. What I need 
is the Holy Spirit to have room to work in my heart today? To give him permission. Like, like David did when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I need to be seriously making religion, not religion as in the forms, but my relationship with God, the great business of my life. I mean, it consumed the disciples. That's all they thought about. And it doesn't mean that we can't have a secular job, no, but there's, there's ways that we can have our focus on asking God to change us. And it'll change the way you look at your brothers and sisters. It'll change the way you think. It'll change the way you perceive and the way you, you go about church. And by God's grace, it can even prepare us for the time of the latter rain when the Holy Spirit will be poured out in even greater measure. Is that your desire today? You want to have that early rain experience? And uh, would you like that not only in a personal manifestation, but would you like to have your church here or wherever your home church is experience that early rain as well? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you. We thank you that you've given us the power of your spirit. We know that this is a gift that you gave. It's no, it's no menial thing. It's not a, it's not it's just something small. This is, this is an amazing gift that you promised when you left that you would give to the church. And it would, it would imbue the church with power, the Holy Spirit. He would imbue the church with power and, 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 and enable them to be witnesses to the whole world in one generation. Lord, we need that power in the church today. We need it here in Loma Linda. Uh, we need it wherever our home churches may be. We need it, most of all, Lord, we need it in our own hearts. Let it start with us. Let it start with me. Help me to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, to change me. And then, Lord, may I be a conduit that others might sense his power as well. We thank you for that. We thank you for the promise. All of those promises we read in the Old Testament and the New. We claim them tonight. And we know that your word never fails. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.